2: You can return it any time or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands.
3: Approval not guarantee Restrictions apply. See store for details. This is the VEASAN Daily Baseball Bets. Here is Adam Burke. Hello once again, everybody. and Thank you for joining me here on this. Hello once again, everybody. and Thank you for joining me here on this Monday, April 24th edition of VEASAN Daily Baseball Bets. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Happy to be back in the saddle here for you to kick off a new week on the podcast. Spent last weekend in Cleveland at a bachelor party for my good buddy Nino. So uh, definitely a little bit of a deviation to the schedule. Got some stuff done a little bit earlier being on Eastern time, but back to normal here. And you know what? I'm a creature of habit. I'm definitely a routine oriented person. So as much as it was nice to go and have some fun with the boys, uh, back at it here on a Monday as I mentioned in the article, a little bit of a case of the Mondays to throw a reference out there to Office Space, one of the iconic all time movies. But we got 11 games today. I'll talk about some of them on today's show. And I wrote about all of them in that daily article over at vsin.com. Speaking of vsin.com, head on over there. Check out everything that we have our NBA playoff hub, our NHL playoff hub, my MLB daily article Monday through Saturday. Uh, Zach Cohen filling in today for the NBA Best Bets for Jonathan Von Vontobel. Zach also doing NBA and MLB player prop articles on the regular. Andy McNeil, our resident NHL expert. We got a lot of draft coverage for you to check out. Uh, those things need a refresh, though, because these odds in the marketplace moving very, very rapidly in advance of Thursday's first round. you can check out all that stuff over at vSyn.com And make sure you check out the introductory offer as well, $9.99 for a month. For the first month subscription, then you can decide what you want to do after that. But some other subscription options available over there at VSIN.com as well. Uh, Support the fine work that my colleagues and I do over there at the website. And also support our podcast work. we got a very, very expansive podcast channel now. Uh, You're listening to VSIN Daily Baseball Bets. and Throw me a five-star review, if you don't mind, while you're doing that. Uh, Our NBA podcast, Hardwood Handicappers, our hockey betting podcast for the NHL, we got the GM shuffle with Femi Abefefe and Michael Lombardi. They've had no shortage of things to talk about here in the lead up to the draft. Applebaum's doing his podcasts as well. Plenty of stuff over at vison.com and on all of our podcast channels. All right, so let's talk about what happened over the weekend here, aside from uh, copious amounts of drinking from yours truly. But when you look at the weekend that was in Major League Baseball, a massive decrease in offensive production. League-wide, Friday through Saturday, a 230 batting average with a 301 on base percentage, a 396 slugging percentage. That was good for a 93 WRC+. So the offensive performance Friday through Sunday was 7% below league average relative to what we've seen here so far. And a couple of things really stood out to me. The first is that the strikeout rate over the weekend was 25.1%. That is very, very high. That is extremely high. And the other is that the league-wide batting average on balls in play was just 280. So a big drop there as well, exacerbated by the fact that we only had an 8.1% walk rate. So the walk rate has been regressing. The batting average on balls in play, specifically on ground balls, uh, from a tweet from Jason Collette, went from 250 the week prior to 219 last week. So it does seem like adjustments are being made here, both on the pitching side and also on the defensive side. Now, the thing about batting average on balls in play, which will be one of today's two sabermetric stats of the show, is that it never stabilizes. So it's always open to a lot of variance, to a lot of interpretation, so to speak. So the fact that Babip really died this past week, maybe just one of those weeks, I think there's a little bit more to it. And I think what it is is that now that we've got more batted ball data to work with, because a lot of these starters have made four starts, a lot of these relievers have made you know, six, seven, eight, ten appearances, stuff like that, I think teams are really going to do a lot of work in the front offices with looking at batted ball distributions and where batted balls are being hit off of certain pitchers, and they're going to try to position their fielders accordingly the best that they can, while still sticking within the shift ban rules. So that's going to mean maybe the shortstop has pulled over a little bit more and there's just a big hole up the middle. Maybe the second baseman is playing a half step to the right of second base and the shortstop maybe clogging the middle as well. Teams are going to be a little bit more creative with their positioning. And also, if we do get an increased strikeout rate, and I think that may be a possibility I think it's entirely possible and looking at some of the spin rate data that we've seen here so far that pitchers have found something that is less detectable to improve their grip. You know, and there was a thing with David Cohn on Sunday night baseball showing what rubbing alcohol and rosin will do kind of adding some extra grip. Why does grip matter? Well, grip matters because the longer your fingers are on the ball, the more that you can kind of spin it, the closer you can release it to home plate. So it's going to have more spin, later movement, stuff like that, not to mention just simply having better grip on the ball means you're going to be able to throw it better where you want to. You know, a slippery ball, you're going to have a lot less command. A stickier ball where you've got a little bit more feel for it, you're going to have better command, you're going to have better control, you're going to have better grip to where you can locate it where you want to. So I do think that maybe pitchers have found some things that they can use that aren't nearly as easy to to detect because look, Rosin continues to be legal. You know, sunscreen continues to be legal. Sunscreen and rosin are things that, you know, guys have used in this sticky substance era, but I think they've found some other stuff that they can use as well. And look, I mean, if I'm a baseball team, uh, I'm going out to, you know, some kind of scientific group and being like, hey, find us some kind of spray solution, something like that, that we can use. I think that's very much a possibility here with the fact that you know we are seeing a lot of guys with increased spin rates here for this season relative to where they were last year so i think that's kind of a thing and and maybe you know it's kind of getting passed around the clubhouse a little bit more or guys are kind of talking about stuff and the strikeout rate has gone up it's now 23% for the season last year we were at 22.4% and the 23% mark of this year closer to what we had in 2019 and 2021 and you know, 2021, you, you had the sticky substance ban eh, to some degree, but you know, look, it's just—I uh I think everybody's adjusting. And the thing about adjusting is, it's easier to do when you're a pitcher or a fielder. It's just more difficult when you're a hitter. Yeah, you can make you know mechanic changes, change the way that you load before a pitch, stuff like that. But you know, ultimately. It's a lot easier for pitchers. You know, they just kind of mix up their arsenals. They just do things differently. And for fielders, you just position yourself differently. So maybe that's it. It could just be variance. It could be the weather. It was kind of cold this past weekend in a lot of places. So maybe it's just that. But it does feel like after we saw kind of an uptick in offense in the first part of April, things have kind of settled down a little bit. And offense is even lagging behind the 2021 pace, which... I don't think you would have expected based on the shift ban and the pitch clock and all these different types of things. But if the strikeout rate is going to go up, that's going to be a really interesting thing because we're not really seeing teams hit for as much power this year. And if you're a pitcher and you know, you have more strikeouts in your back pocket, you know, a team can be a little bit more aggressive with the way it positions its fielders because singles won't be as detrimental. So a lot of moving parts here already this season, which is kind of what we expected given the magnitude of the rule changes, but it does appear that adjustments are being made on a week-to-week, game-by-game, day-by-day basis, and it is a lot easier to do that when you are a pitcher or when you're a fielder. So we've seen a little bit of a decrease in offense here, and again, we'll see what happens as the weather starts to warm up. Still a few cold weather games here today, Denver, Minneapolis, Cleveland, but Well, not Denver. Uh, The Rockies are in Cleveland. But in some of the games that we've got here today, you know, still some colder weather, and and that will be changing as we go forward. But, again, it it does look like maybe pitchers have kind of found something to sort of level the playing field a little bit uh, because, you know, all of these rule changes have been to benefit offense. And I'm sure pitchers are collectively pissed off about the whole thing. So if they can find some kind of spray, some kind of combination of substances, to get a little bit more grip on the ball and increase some spin rates, they'll take that chance. They will absolutely take that chance. And and again, you know, when we when we look at the, you know, the way that the substance crackdown has gone, and I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, but you know, I mean, Phil Cusy's thrown out three guys, including Max Scherzer last week. Domingo Herman was told to wash his hands. So we've had inconsistency in the application of the rules. We've had inconsistency in how umpires are checking for these substances. Some guys have a really thorough check. Some guys, you know, it's like the GIF of the security guy at the football game where it's just like the most basic pat down of all time. Some umpires are really enforcing it. Some aren't, you know, and I'm sure that these guys are getting a reputation out there as well. You know, if you're starting in a game where Phil Cuzzy's behind the plate, maybe you're not going to take the same chance that you would if it's somebody else as the home plate umpire. So again, I don't mean to go off on a tangent about that, but it it would appear, at least to me, maybe it's just a little bit of recency bias. But I, I think there are some signs suggesting here that maybe pitchers have found a way to level the playing field a little bit. And if that's the case, maybe we see a little bit of a market correction here in the short term, kind of like what we saw over the weekend, where unders may be a little bit profitable now because we do have a lot of these totals that have been bumped up half a run, 15, 20 cents of juice stuff like that. So again, it's just the the thing that is is really frustrating and challenging about baseball is that the 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 goalposts are always moving, so to speak. You know, the the game is always changing. Individual players are adapting and doing things differently, and you kind of have to try and get in front of some of those things. So, you know, I'm I'm sort of talking through my thoughts here on the show, which is nice when you have a platform like this. And I can share it with you as I'm thinking about it in real time. But I, I do think that to some degree we are seeing, you know, pitchers do what they can to level the playing field after we've seen a lot of overs and we've seen these totals get bumped up. So I don't know. I could be talking out of my ass. I I may just be guessing here, but I, I do think that maybe there's something to that. And um, you know, if that's the case, I mean the walk rate will go down, the strikeout rate will go up. You know, a couple of things that we saw early on in the year with kind of a depressed strikeout rate and an increased walk rate, if those two things kind of go in opposite directions here, it may not matter how many more singles we have. It it may not matter that much how many more stolen bases we have because guys will be getting more strikeouts in those higher leverage situations. Which brings me to the two sabermetric stats of the show here for this Monday edition of v Daily Baseball Bets. And let's start with BABIP, Batting Average on Balls in Play. Now, when you look at a sample size, I like to just do the StatCast era just because it's very easy for me. Uh, Dating back to 2015 and inclusive of the 2015 season, the batting average on balls in play, a low point of 289. That happened last year. A high point of 298. That was back in 2016. So the range, nine points in batting average on balls in play. So 289 to 298 this season sitting there. At 293, and that's the league average for everybody collectively. Now, batting average on balls in play is batting average minus strikeouts and minus home runs. Strikeouts are not balls in play, and home runs are not able to be fielded. So, that's what BABIP is batting average on balls in the field of play, balls that have a chance at being fielded by a defender. And the league average, as I just mentioned, Somewhere in the 293 range. You know, if we look at, you know, kind of the midpoint of going from 289 to 298 in the 293, 294 range, which is right where we are this season, which is pretty interesting, right? Because we don't have the shift ban anymore. You would have you would have expected kind of an uptick in batting average on balls and play. It was 296 back in 2019, down to 291 in 2020, 290 in 21, 289 and 22 we would have expected probably something closer to 297, 298, something like that. So far, we haven't gotten that, which again speaks to maybe not only the ability of defenders, but the advanced scouting being done by these teams. But in any event, the reason why I look at batting average on balls in play, and I I touched on this a little bit earlier, it does not stabilize. It does not reach a point of statistical significance to where it can be considered reliable. Therefore, It is subject to interpretation all year long for individual pitchers because their sample size of batted ball events is never going to be big enough in a single season. So let me explain that again here, maybe in a way that's a little bit easier uh, to kind of understand here. So stats have a point of significance where they stabilize at a certain point. what, What you see is what you get because the sample size has, I guess we'll call it a certain degree of confidence to where it can you know, kind of stand on its own accord. Well, batting average on balls in play never gets there, at least not in the sample size of a single season. So it's open to variance all year long, which means it will kind of move around. It'll be something that kind of goes up, kind of goes down, stuff like that. Well, what you want to look for and what I look for are extremes. So, for example, if the league average is supposed to be around 293, You've got Nate Uvalde, who pitches tonight with a batting average on balls in play of 422. Miles Michaelis, 402. Hunter Green, 377. Kyle Moeller, 376. Steven Matz, 373. So those are your five highest among qualified pitchers. On the flip side, Shohei Otani, 163. Tyler Wells from Baltimore, 175. Joe Ryan, 193. Dustin May, 195. Justin Steele, and Nick Martinez. 200. So that's your top five in terms of the lowest batting averages on balls in play. The further it is from league average, the more likely it is to not only regress to the mean, but probably do so sooner than what some other guys would do. And that's true of both extreme lows and extreme highs. So for example, when I go and look at today's card, like I said, Nate Uvalde has a 422 batting average on balls in play. That's not going to continue. That's just not going to continue. He's probably going to wind up somewhere in the, you know, he'll wind up above 300 probably because he just allows a lot of hard contact. But it's, it's not going to be 422 all year long. Nick Lodolo, 441, not going to be that all year long. Alex Cobb, 407, won't have that all year long. Colin Ray for the Brewers, 207 in his two starts. That seems wildly unsustainable to me. So you look for the extremes and expect them to regress to the mean. And the bigger the extreme, the bigger the scope of the regression. So if you're a guy who's got a BABIP of like 323, like Ken Waldachuk, that's really not that high from league average. And also you're not that good of a pitcher. So he could easily run a batting average on balls in play. That's higher than the league average. That would not be a shocker at all. Or a guy like Brad Keller, for example, 245 batting average on balls in play. Not a chance in hell it stays that low. And there are some other things about batting average on balls in play that you want to look at where you can kind of go, okay, he's really overperforming or he's really underperforming. Hard hit rate is one of them. The harder the contact, the harder it is to field. The harder the contact, the higher your batting average on balls in play should be. If your hard hit percentage is low, the lower the hard hit percentage, the better your BABIP should be. Because there's more time for guys to get to those balls. The second thing about this is looking at batted ball distribution, like ground balls, fly balls, line drives, etc. More ground balls go for hits than fly balls. Why? Because you have time to run under a fly ball. There's just more space. It takes longer for the ball to reach the ground. With ground balls, there's just more holes. There's just more ways that the ball can kind of find a hole. It's more ground to cover in a shorter period of time. Yes, there's more ground to cover in the outfield, but you have more time to cover it as opposed to on the infield. So if you're a guy with a high ground ball rate, generally speaking, your batting average on balls in play will be a little bit on the higher end. If you're a guy with a high fly ball rate, your batting average on balls in play should be lower because you're just going to give up fewer hits. Also, remember, home runs don't count toward batting average on balls in play because they are not balls in play. So if you're a fly ball guy, some of your hits are going to leave the ballpark, and those don't get counted in a negative way with batting average on balls in play. So again, look for the extreme outliers to regress to the mean quicker than some other guys. Consider hard hit percentage, exit velocity, stuff like that. The harder the contact, the higher your BABIP should be. The softer the contact, the lower your BABIP should be. And then this stat also kind of works to some degree in tandem with left on base percentage. And that's exactly what it sounds like. It measures the percentage of base runners that a pitcher strands on base over the course of a season. So this is your hits, your walks, your hit by pitches. How many, what percentage of those guys score? And the league average for this metric, as we kind of look at, you know, sort of the grander sample size here, again, in that, Aforementioned stat cast era, which I look at, which dates back to 2015, the highest left on base percentage, 72.9%. The lowest, interestingly enough, this season at 71.5%. So we'll call the league average 72% with left on base percentage. So you can have a higher one if you're a high strikeout guy, right? So a guy like Spencer Strider, for example, he's probably going to have a higher left on base percentage because he gets more strikeouts. It's easier to strand runners when you get a lot of strikeouts. A guy like Cal Quantrill for the Guardians, he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. So his left on base percentages, which have actually been you know pretty good throughout the course of his career, not something that I would necessarily expect to kind of hang around a little bit here. So when you look at that left on base percentage leaders, Shohei Otani, Sonny Gray, 92.3%, fine. They're getting a lot of strikeouts. It's going to happen in small sample sizes. Garrett Cole, a lot of strikeouts. Marcus Stroman, much higher strikeout rate than usual. Justin Steele, that one's a little high for Justin Steele at eighty nine point one percent. He doesn't have a strikeout per inning. Really high. Wade Miley at eighty nine point one percent. He's got a very low strikeout rate. So you want to look at left on base percentage, and again, that's a stat that because of the sample size of the baseball season, doesn't stabilize. It doesn't reach a point where you can confidently say, okay, that's who this guy is. It will be open to variance all year long. And of the qualified starters, there are 22 guys right now with a left-on-base percentage over 80%. And remember, the league average, 72%. And maybe the best context to put this in is to look at, you know, sort of the guys from last year that stood out. The highest BABIP against was 363. That was Kevin Gaussman. The second was Jose Barrios at 328. So Gossman was very high, 35 points higher than anybody else. But of qualified pitchers, only nine guys last year had a batting average on balls in play of 300 or higher out of 45 pitchers that qualified and qualifying, I think is 3.1 innings per team game, something like that. Um, No, that can't be right. I don't know what it is. Anyway, but qualified pitchers, whatever that distinction is, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But you had a lot of guys in that 280 to 290 range, right? So if you're a big extreme, it's probably not going to hang around. Left on base percentage specifically here, that's one where, and I'll go ahead and just make this 120 innings on the cutoff. 104 pitchers with 120 innings last year. Highest left on base percentage, 86.6%. 15 out of 104 guys were at 80% or higher. So it's not really a common thing to be up in the 80% range. And then, of course, the flip side is also true. If you're in the 60% range or something like that, you should experience positive regression. And what happens with BABIP and left-on-base percentage is that those are two things that really dictate ERA, earned run average, which is a stat that everybody knows, a very traditional baseball stat. But left-on-base percentage and BABIP have a big impact on ERA. And a lot of times you'll see pitchers with a high ERA and a lower FIP or a low ERA and a higher FIP. And the reason why the ERA looks like that is because of batting average on balls in play and left on base percentage. So those are two shortcuts. And if you go to fan graphs and you hold your cursor over the scores tab and you go to probable pitchers, it'll show you all the guys expected to start today. Now, it's still defaulting to the 2022 stats. You can change it in the single season box to 2023 and look at all the guys and some of their basic stats, and you can see BABIP and left-on-base percentage right there. And those are two really good indicators of not only line movement, but also pitchers that should be better and pitchers that could be worse. So BABIP and left-on-base percentage, two really important statistics especially because now we're starting to get into bigger sample sizes where you can look at those things and say, man, that guy's gotten really unlucky this season or that guy's gotten really lucky this season, whatever the case may be. So BABIP and left on base percentage are two stats that I use a lot. You do have to apply context to them because as I said, if you allow a lot of hard contact, you're probably not stranding runners and you're probably going to have a high BABIP. If you get a lot of strikeouts, you should have a higher left on base percentage. If you pitch to a lot of contact, your left on base percentage is probably going to be low because it'll be defense dependent. So, at, on the surface, these are good starting points, but you have to add more context to them so that you can kind of explain why some of those outliers exist. Coming up here on Visa Daily Baseball Bets, my look at the Monday card after this short break.
0: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It hey, not That's be my, my day!
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <laughs> Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's leesa.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.
3: All right, we're back here on VSIN Daily Baseball Bets. Uh, if you want some clarification on that Babbitt been left on base percentage discussion, Hit me up on Twitter, at Skating Tripods, or you can email me, aburk, at vcin.com. Always happy to answer fan mail, uh, unless you're MFing me for some reason. But uh, other than that, you know, I'm usually pretty open and and generally pretty responsive uh, to the questions that are out there. And I know that the sabermetric stat of the day has gone over pretty well through the two that I've done here so far. Uh, So hopefully, you kind of take the same feelings away. Uh, From today's examples, but looking at this Monday card here, kind of run through a few of these games. I don't have plays on eleven games. I do have three plays uh, across three different games here. But I wanted to look first at this Cardinals and and Giants game. And uh, stop me if you've heard this before. Hopefully, you're not playing the Visa and Daily Baseball Bets drinking game while you're in the car. Uh, That would be a very, very bad idea. But the Giants face another lefty here today in Jordan Montgomery. And the Giants continue to be absolutely horrendous against left handed pitching. Now, they did a pretty good job against David Peterson on Saturday, which was kind of interesting because they got completely shut down by Joey Lucchese on Friday. But they have a 68 WRC plus against lefties. That's 32% below league average. They are 28th in weighted on base average at 271. They have a 30.9% strikeout rate against left handed pitching this season. That's third. So they're at second, excuse me. There's a team higher. It's the Milwaukee Brewers, but they only have 151 plate appearances against lefties, whereas the Giants have 285. And the Giants have faced a lot of lefties here of late, and they're just not really having many positive offensive results against them. So we'll see what Jordan Montgomery does here today. But tough customer going for the Giants here as well in Alex Cobb and Montgomery, is a positive regression candidate, 62.9% left on base percentage, 333 batting average on balls in play, 484 ERA, 288 FIP. This would appear to be a pretty good matchup for Montgomery against this Giants team. But also Alex Cobb with some interesting numbers here. 407 BABIP against, which is way too high, but an 84% left on base percentage. He's got a 22-3 to strikeout-to-walk ratio, He's giving up some hard contact here, though. So I got a little bit close to playing the Cardinals in this one just because the Giants against lefties are are a triple-A team at best. Uh, But Cobb is a guy that, you know, he's right-handed against a Cardinals lineup where it's a lot of righties that tend to do the damage. Although if you look at Cobb, throughout his career, a lot of reverse platoon splits because his changeup slash splitter is such a good pitch, and that's a good pitch against lefties for right-handed pitchers. So maybe Cobb struggles a little bit here, but – I will say this one other concept I want to introduce to you and one other in a book recommendation I have for you. We're getting to pool season or, you know, maybe you're traveling for vacation, stuff like that. So Joe Peta, who was a Wall Street trader, he's been a guest on, on Gil Alexander's show a numbers game before Joe Peta wrote a really good book called Trading Bases, um, maybe about almost a decade ago now. Uh, but he talks about the concept of cluster luck, which I will elaborate on more as the season goes along. But the idea behind cluster luck is that you get really lucky or really unlucky when it matters the most. And for Alex Cobb this season, with the bases empty, he's allowed a 347 batting average with a 510 slugging percentage, a 377 WOBA with the bases empty, but a 272 WOBA with men on base and a 202 WOBA with runners in scoring position. This is a prime example of of cluster luck, and this will be justification for me for some bets as we get deeper into the season here as sample sizes increase. So a good opportunity to introduce that concept to you. And again, that book is called Trading Bases by Joe Pita. Go check it out. It's a really, really good read. Uh, Lance Lynn and Chris Bassett, White Sox and Blue Jays here. A couple of things about this game and, and largely about this series. So the Blue Jays, when they played at home for their first homestand, six games, they played the Tigers and the Rays. Um, not much offense in those games, 48 runs over the six games. So an average of eight runs per game there. We really expected the ballpark alterations at Rogers center to create a lot more offense. They brought in the field in right center. They brought in the field in left center or brought in the fence, excuse me, in right center and in left center, they did raise the wall a little bit, but bringing in distance is a much bigger difference than elevating the wall. A couple of feet, but in those two series, we saw very little offense. And and honestly, I mean, you know, the Blue Jays scored four or five runs in the eighth inning of one of those games off of some gas can reliever for Detroit. Otherwise, that game would have stayed under. Um, There wasn't a whole lot of run scoring. There were some home runs, a lot of them of the solo variety. Curious to see how the ballpark plays here uh, on this second homestand for the Blue Jays. Uh, Both of these pitchers, you know, kind of tough to sort of figure out what's going on with them. Chris Bassett's last couple starts have looked better, but he's still not missing many bats at all. Velocity went back down in his last start against Houston, which was his best start of the season, but he's clearly still working through some things here, and Lance Lynn doing the same. I mean, Lance Lynn, 46% hard hit percentage against. He's had some issues with some walks. He's had a couple of really bad outings. Uh, Just tough to really trust either one of those guys here, but at the same time, you know this total is only nine. And you would think with the numbers of these two guys here so far, we maybe would have saw a nine and a half, especially with the expectation of more offense at Rogers Center. But this is nine with some under juice. So I don't really know what to make of that, how to read into that. But I, I thought it was it's definitely interesting, a little bit peculiar, uh, to say the least, in that game. Johnny Brito and Sonny Gray in this game between the Yankees and the Twins. Uh, Brito gave up a million runs. Two thirds of an inning to the Twins, uh, two starts ago. He had seven runs on six hits. He walked the guy, he only faced nine batters, seven of them reached. Uh, it was ugly. Everything was hit hard in that start, too. Outside of that one, Brito's been pretty good in his other three starts, so we'll see how he does here. But the thing is, Sonny Gray, you know, 92.3% left on base percentage that will come down. Uh, 082 ERA, 219 FIP, 399 XFIP. He's building a profile of regression here. Nothing against him. He struck out 26 in his 22 innings. He's been great, and that's awesome. But at some point, regression comes for everybody, whether it comes in one really bad start, like what we saw from Brito, or if it comes over a series of starts where things kind of get a little bit dicey. So I'll be watching Gray closely for that. I'm not fading him today, but I will be watching him very closely for that as we go forward his next start comes against the Royals, so he may even add to some of that regression fuel here. And I will be looking for some kind of spot to go against him, probably in the month of May. A couple other games I wanted to mention real quickly here: um, Oakland and and the Angels. You know, Jose Suarez is a guy who a lot of people liked coming into the season. He's not pitched well at all. Eleven runs on eighteen hits in his first eight and a third. Then he only gave up one against the Yankees, but he walked six guys in that start. Just didn't look super sharp. Strikeout percentage down, walk rate up, swinging strike percentage down, chase rate down. The stuff just hasn't been good for Jose Suarez. And you know, when you pitch well against a team like the A's, a lot of people are going to go, well, yeah, of course, it's the A's. Like, they're awful. Of course you pitched well. But I kind of look at it more as... If you're struggling and you figure it out, that's a good thing. If you're struggling and you don't figure it out, that's a really bad thing. Which brings me to another game to talk about here real quickly. Between the Rockies and the Guardians, Cal Quantrill has not been super sharp for Cleveland so far this season. And they've had a lot of issues. I mean, they're very lucky to be a 500 team right now in my estimation. The offense has been bad. The starting staff has all kinds of issues. Something is up with Shane Bieber again. He doesn't look good. Uh, Quantrill's not pitched well. McKenzie and Savali are both out. It's been rough. When you face the Rockies on the road on a 48-degree night in Cleveland where the ball is not going to carry and you suck, that's bad. So Cal Quantrill needs to be good tonight, I think. If he's not, that's really going to be a glaring red flag for me. And this is why I talk about a lot of games that I don't have bets on in the article or here on the podcast, because all of these things are important for us to kind of file away and get some thoughts that we can use in the future. I mean, these pitchers come around every five or six days. They have different matchups every five or six days. So building up a profile and and getting a mindset about these guys is really important. And yeah, if Quantro pitches well, people are going to go, so what? It's the Rockies. Who gives a damn? you know what, when you're not pitching super well and you go dominate a team that you should, that's at least an encouraging sign going forward. So I'm watching that for both Jose Suarez today against the A's and also Cal Quantrill against the Rockies. All right, let's get to the bets that I've got here for this Monday card. Uh, We start in Tampa Bay. Jose Urquidy and Taj Bradley in this one. The Rays, high watermark in the market, minus 155. You can find plus 140 or so on the comeback for the Astros. I like the Astros today. This is kind of anecdotal. I don't really have any data to back this up, but doesn't it feel like the Astros just kind of flip the switch whenever they want? You know, I've been following this team for a long time. Uh, You know, I was really following as they were building up with a bunch of first round picks and how they went all in on analytics and sabermetrics and all those kinds of things. I've been following this team for a long time. And and they sort of feel like kind of the Cleveland Cavs when LeBron was still there. And it was like, eh, you know what? They're going to take some nights off. But when they want to play, they're going to make a statement. And the Astros have made some statements here recently. They took two out of three from the Blue Jays. And then they swept the Braves. And the Braves are a damn good baseball team. I think they might be the best team in the National League. And the Astros just swept them on the road. Houston, is into the rhythm of the season now. They seem to be engaged. And now they take on this Rays team that's the hottest thing since sliced bread. They're 19-3 and on the year. The Rays have played like two two legitimate teams. They've played a cupcake schedule. And again, it's not their fault. All you can do is beat the teams that are on the schedule, and the Rays have done that. But the Astros are a different animal. And the market doesn't like Jose or I do, to be honest with you. He's an extreme flyball guy. The strikeout and walk rates are fine. Uh, he doesn't miss a ton of bats, but he misses enough bats to be effective. And he's at Tropicana Field here, a ballpark that suppresses power. Uh, I, I like the Astros bullpen. I think the Rays bullpen has some negative regression signs to it that I wrote about over in the article at uh, You know they're, They have a 214 batting average on balls in play against. That will not continue. 291 ERA, 418 FIP, 487 XFIP. They do have the lowest hard hit percentage against at 30.1%, but they're 28th in strikeout percentage. This raised bullpen is going to get tripped up by somebody. Just because they haven't played many good offenses this season, you know, their numbers kind of stand out a little bit. So I took the Astros plus 135 in this game. I mean, I think that they're very live uh, in this one. That's the line over at DraftKings. Again, you can shop around and find a little bit better of a price. But I like the Astros here, uh, plus 135 in that one. Just not necessarily a fade of Bradley or the Rays, just that's too big of a number for the Astros, I think, uh, with the fact that they're playing some really, really good baseball at this point in time. We move to interleague play here with the Rangers and the Reds. Nate Uvalde, Nick Lodolo in this one. Lodolo coming off of a pretty um, you know lackluster outing. Gave up eight runs on 12 hits. Velocity looked fine, but he gave up three home runs, 12 hard hit balls, uh, 31% first pitch strike rate, A lot of things that weren't exactly Nick Lodolo-esque. So, yeah, he could bounce back, and that's fine. But, look, Nate is throwing the ball really, really well. Uh, The Reds' offense is not performing well, particularly against righties. They're 23% below league average against righties. They're 25th in weighted on base average. And Uvalde's pitching well. 422 BABIP, 62.1% left on base percentage. Two of the indicators I talked about earlier on in the show here. So, this is the application of that. I like Uvalde. His numbers are good so far, and he could be even better with the fact that he's got this high BABIP and a high left on base percentage. 540 ERA, but a 226 FIP, 306 XFIP. He's gotten unlucky a little bit, and he's really only got one bad start, too, that, that's kind of skewed his numbers a little bit. It's the same thing for Lodolo, but the Rangers are the better offense. Uvalde and Lodolo canceling out is... Is, would not be shocking in this game. And the Rangers easily have the better bullpen. At minus 115, Texas is worth the play here in this game, I think. Especially, you know, Uvalde is a guy that keeps the ball on the ground. Not that it's going to carry well in Cincinnati tonight. It's a pretty cold night. But he's just a guy that, you know, you have to string a lot of hits together to score runs off of him. And I don't think that the Reds necessarily have that capability. And again, if these two guys cancel out, and I can get the Rangers bullpen, which has been one of the best in baseball, over the Reds bullpen at minus 115, yeah, I'm going to do that. So the Rangers minus 115, the second play for Wednesday. And the other one here is a total, and and totals have been a little bit iffy at times, but the Tigers and the Brewers, you got Matt Boyd and Colin Ray in this one, and the Brewers have been, I'll be honest, they've been bad against left-handed pitching this season, but they've struck out a lot against left-handed pitching. As I mentioned, they're the only team in baseball with a higher strikeout percentage against lefties than the Giants. But Matthew Boyd is is not really a big swing and miss guy. I think he's kind of overvalued and, and overpriced by the market in general. This season, 11-9 and strikeout-to-walk ratio, seven runs on 12 hits in 14 innings. Only a 23.3% hard hit percentage, but I think that'll be on the rise sooner rather than later. And the Brewers only have, 151 plate appearances against lefties. So their numbers open to a little bit more interpretation and variance because they just don't have the same sample size as some other teams. This season, Boyd's allowed a 370 on-base percentage to 46 right-handed batters, and the Brewers will load their lineup with righties. They're a team that uses the platoon advantage quite a bit, which is what you have to do when you have a low payroll. But I also want to look at the Tigers for a second here. I know I'm running a little bit long with the show, but that's going to happen on Mondays. For the Tigers, so Colin Ray, 165 MLB innings, 485 ERA, 445 FIP. But this is a guy, a career swing, swing strike percentage of 6.3%, and he doesn't get guys to expand the zone. The Tigers have the third highest strikeout rate at 26.2%, but they're 15th in hard hit percentage. When they make contact, they're hitting the ball at pretty much a league average level. The problem is they're not making enough contact. Well, against Colin Ray... You can make a lot of contact 5.7% swinging strike rate in his two MLB starts this season. I think the tigers can score in this game. And I think the brewers can as well. Uh, you know, it's probably uh, enclosed. Uh, the roof will be closed up there in American family field or Miller park, whatever it is. I don't love the tigers bullpen. I don't love anything about the tigers bullpen. And I think the brewers are kind of lacking in middle relief as well. And Ray is a guy who probably won't work super deep into the game. So over eight and a half minus half, minus one twenty in the Tigers and Brewers. So the three plays for today, Astros in a dog roll, plus 135. uh, Nate Uvalde and the Rangers, minus 115. And then the Tigers and Brewers over 8.5. Long show. Hopefully you stuck it out. Thank you so much. If you did, rate, review, subscribe, five-star reviews. Very much encouraged wherever you get your podcast content. Thank you for listening. Thank you again for the kind words that I got last week. I really appreciate that. Hopefully you grasp the BABIP and left on base percentage conversation. If you didn't, I'm on Twitter at skating tripods or a Burke at VSIN.com If you want to shoot me an email, so I'll do it here. I'll be back again on Tuesday with another edition of v Daily Baseball Bets. I'm your host, Adam Burke.
0: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.